and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. We are also the same as NARC Troopers, and it is at that website, narctroopers.com, where you will find over a hundred and something podcasts like this one. There are over a hundred articles from medium.com and other online platforms, and there is a video blog. So if you enjoy today's episode, please visit my website and follow me on my podcast, my articles, and on my vlog. The topic of today's discussion is Narcissist or Psychopath, the Mentally Disordered Cluster B Person. The narcissist, sociopath, and psychopath all share common traits and often have overlapping features. Popular culture is enmeshed in a love affair with naming and stamping and labeling, and no word has experienced such rampant growth as the term narcissist. We all have narcissistic tendencies, but it is when it crosses the line into pathological narcissism, that it becomes a disorder. And psychopaths come with their own branding too. For decades, Hollywood and television have entertained the idea of the psycho with all of its variations on that common theme. But what do these diagnoses actually mean? While there are profound differences, there are also quite a few similarities and common denominators. The DSM chart has grouped them together in the same cluster, so there must be some common manifestations that are worthy of explanation. People with cluster B personality disorders have an inability to understand their own mental states and the mental states of others. In particular, two manifestations of narcissistic personality disorder can be explained by poor mind-reading abilities, which is the absence of symptomatic subjective distress, and secondly, a lack of empathy. Subjective distress is the discomfort, pain, and general uncomfortable feelings a person is experiencing. Um, there's also something called SUDS. It's a numbered scale, usually on a scale of 1 to 10, sometimes a different scale, but it measures the level at which an experience is disturbing or distressing to an individual. Emotion researchers generally define empathy as the ability to sense other people's emotions, coupled with the ability to imagine what someone else might be thinking or feeling and share that pain in some way. There are three components of empathy. It can be cognitive, emotional, or compassionate. The narcissist or psychopath may mimic the gestures of all the different kinds of empathy. They may mirror it but none of them are actually real or genuine. Regardless of the type of narcissist, these qualities are absent in them. So all the people in cluster B 
possess these um, absence of symptomatic subjective distress and also a lack of empathy. Those two things. Um, and I think that those are worthy of further discussion just a little bit. If you're, if you're unable to experience subjective distress, um, which would be general uncomfortable feelings, then you're sort of numb and like, you know, those heartbeat charts where that goes up and down, you're like a flat line. You're, um, it could appear as if you have some kind of, that you're maybe somewhere on the autism charts. It could appear that, that there's something creepy about your inability to fully engage emotionally in the world around you. So this symptomatic subjective distress, things don't uh, rock your world in the way they do most people. You don't have the ability to feel that if you are a cluster B disordered person and you're just that flat line. You know, when through all the years that my husband and I were together, I never saw him act with urgency where he would get flustered and seem like he felt that he had to respond by reacting in a very emotionally charged way. He was always calm, cool as a cucumber. Yeah, that's a saying, I think. And um, it, it was like, even in, even in um, situations where most people would have experienced some kind of fear, he was cool collected, calm at all times. He, he never showed fear, whether it was a poisonous snake or whether it was a near death experience in our car. You know, we were in an accident where a truck just hit us. Um, and it was a hit and run that drove away. And he, uh, you know, when we would have these, these experiences, there would be no, um, emotional response. I would look to him and think, wow, I'm, you know, my heart's beating 90 miles an hour and I'm angry and I'm flustered and I'm scared and I'm experiencing all these emotions, but it would be nothing, nothing. And we would be driving along and a car would almost swerve and hit us. And the weirdest thing I remember is that he would, whatever he was talking about, he would be talking about black holes. He would say, you know, in space, this phenomena does blah, blah, blah. And here this car comes out of nowhere, slams on the brake, misses us by an inch. Ooh, the adrenaline floods my brain and the whole, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, and I grab his arm and I said, did you see that? Oh my gosh, did you see that? That car just missed us by like an inch. And he would just keep talking kind of like, yeah. Well, let me finish what I was saying about the black holes. And I'm like, what are you saying? What is going on here? You are a black hole. Why don't you respond like a normal person? You're like an alien or one of those reptile people that you hear about on YouTube and on the internet. You know, the reptile people that come from other planets that have uh, shape-shifted into people's bodies. And yes, he, yes, I've looked at him and thought, wow. Is could that no, that can't be right. That can't be right. But that's what we're talking about when we talk about subjective distress. They show none. And then the other is the lack of empathy. If I'm suffering, it doesn't hurt him. You know, if he's suffering, it hurts me. Anybody 
even if I don't know them, you know, I cry when I watch the ASPCA commercials and, and, and Sarah McLaughlin starts singing in the arms of an angel. And there's all these little dogs with the little crust around their eyes and the little shivering kitties. And I'm just over there crying and saying, Oh my God, we've got to adopt all of them, all of them right now. Get my checkbook, get my debit card. I've got to help them. Oh my gosh. Uh, and, and so it hurts me to see other people in pain, um, especially my family and friends, especially my husband. And um, it, it hurts me to hurt them and every time with no exception. And I feel enormous guilt. And, you know, they don't. They don't feel the guilt. They don't feel other people's pain. They just don't get it. It's just nothing. Nothing, no response, nobody's at home. So, uh, yeah, that's something to consider. So let's talk about something else. Let's talk about cognitive biases. Because narcopaths, and I call them narcopaths, because a lot of times narcissism, um, antisocial personality disorder, formerly known as sociopathy, and psychopaths, all three kind of overlap sometimes. Yes, there are distinguishing differences. Uh, Narcissists and sociopaths are made, whereas psychopaths are born that way. But they all have something wrong with their brain that can be seen a lot of the times on brain scans and stuff. You can actually see like less gray matter in the amygdala and prefrontal cortex. Their limbic system is screwed up. A lot of common features that they both possess so they are kind of clumped together let's 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 explore that some more let's go a little deeper let's unpack as everyone loves to say that they love to say let's unpack this does it resonate with you let's unpack this other thing so let's do that let's do a little unpacking of cognitive biases they uh underlie narcissism and psychopathy uh about how they process recall and attend to self. There is a connection between the personality constructs of narcissism and self-concept clarity and aggressively biased cognitive processes and structures. Um, These would be like hostile attributions and aggressive social scripts. The person with NPD, with the narcissistic personality disorder and the psychopath, have delusional ideas about self, about their concept of self and ego and id and super ego and all of that, right? Um, Or I think it was Claude Steiner who wrote that book, I'm Okay, You're Okay, that was essentially about transactional analysis, where it talks about how we each have the three components functioning, adult, child, and parent, so with the narcissist or psychopath, that those ego states and um, all of that is terribly screwed up and they are delusional. Their egos are out of control um, as well as parts of their brain that regulate behavior. Some narcissists also have comorbidities with overlapping mental health issues that aren't even cluster B. We're not talking now about how a lot of narcissists could also be having antisocial personality disorder or psychopathy. 
yes, we've established that they could have all three simultaneously or pieces of, you know, it's, it's just different. They all function on a spectrum and, you know, it's like a recipe, you know, you can make chocolate cake 50 different ways. Some people actually put mayonnaise in it. Yeah. That blows my mind. I hate mayonnaise, but, um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of ways to make chocolate cake, right? But it's still chocolate cake. It's, it's still chocolate cake. And so the cluster B people are cluster B personality disordered individuals, regardless of how much of this or that that they have that is mixed up with the other thing that they have and stuff like that. So, um, okay, where do I want to go with this next? So they can overlap. Um, they have, okay, can we just talk about that real quick? Common denominators of how they overlap, okay? These, these are different ways. Number one, they could be socially inappropriate and have impulsive behavior. Make a little mental checklist here. And these, this is for both. This is for all cluster C, no, cluster B disorders, cluster B disorders. These are the characteristics that in some fashion or form, they're all present. Socially inappropriate or impulsive behavior, disrespecting the rights of others, boundary violations. That's number two. Number three, the inability to distinguish between right and wrong. We have no moral compass, no ethics, no values. Number four, difficulty with showing remorse, guilt, regret, empathy, loyalty, and they have a pathological egocentricity, um, centricity, egocentricity, and entitlement. Sometimes my thoughts get ahead of my words. I'm sorry. Um, the next one, tendency to, um, to lie and to use deception. And they believe their own lies. Now, that's the weird thing. It's one thing to be a liar, to be a chronic, habitual liar. But it's something else when you believe your own lies. You're so delusional. You are prone to so much magical thinking. That's a term that they use in describing these people, that they they engage in this magical thinking so that their reality is so disconnected and far from the real reality that they believe their own lies. Um, you know, we we used to talk a lot about the multiverse and that how there's perhaps different realities existing right now all at the same time. And that maybe we can find wormholes or something to travel between the different alternative realities. I'm ready to go to a different alternative reality and find him in another one when he's not effing crazy. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, okay, where was I on my list? Okay, blame shifting. Shifting the blame, um, playing the victim, refusing any kind of accountability. Yep. That's one. Manipulating, exploiting, and hurting other people. Mm -hmm. Next one. Sorry, I lost count. Um, and I, I, okay, I was trying to number them mentally, but okay, I know what they are, though. They are usually charismatic, charming, promiscuous, but incapable of love or intimacy. 
So if you're just looking for a, you know what, a F boy toy, a good time, and you have, this is definitely not a time where you're looking for a long-term partner. You just want a good time. Then a lot of times they're your boy, you know, or they're your girl. <laughs> if it's a female narcissist, right? Um, but if you want something that's going to last, uh, 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 they're not the ones. They lack object constancy. They see things in black and white. Things are either all good or all bad. So they find it impossible to believe that, that if a person cared about them, that they could also be angry with them at the same time or disappointed in them at the same time while they still love them. First of all, they don't know what love is. They don't know what it feels like, what it means or how to do it right how to give it or like they don't get any part of that to them love is lust and inf or infatuation the idealization stage of the abuse to them love feels like that it's about how it makes them feel and love is not just about how somebody makes you feel maybe in sixth grade that's what it is and maybe to the cluster b people that's what it is but in reality, it is far from that. It is far from that. You know, uh, love to me is when your partner gets sick. Maybe they get cancer and they go through a couple of years of chemo and just horribleness and all of their hair falls out and they look funny and, they, and, and they're throwing up and all the time and can't eat and they're no fun and they're just so sick. But you stay and you take care of them and you try to make their life better. And you hurt for them and, and you know, you, you cherish them and you try to minimize their suffering as much as you can. You don't just look at them and say, wow, I didn't sign up for this. Gotta go. And that's what your narcissist or psychopath will do. Um, so, and they dissociate, which means they, this, this one is the one that is hardest for me to come to terms with. This is the one that blows my mind because I don't understand how anyone could be capable of this but they have selective amnesia which erases memories they have revisionist history where they rewrite the past adding in things that never happened deleting years of memories that did happen it's just the way that that dissociation robs them of um, a past. It robs the partner of that, of, you know, the relationship doesn't receive the honor and respect. Even It's like if something is dead, you're going to treat it with honor and respect. You're going to cover the body. You're going to give it a decent burial, Right. And, and it's the same with relationships. If you're a normal person, you're going to acknowledge, wow, we had many years together or whatever the case may be. And you're going to respect it and honor it for what it was at one time or another. <clears throat> they do not do that. They don't do it. So psychopathy is characterized by diagnostic features such as supernatural charm, high intelligence, poor judgment, Failure to learn from experience. <coughs> oh, sorry. 
pathological egocentricity and the incapacity for love, lack of remorse, no shame, impulsivity, grandiose sense of self-worth, pathological lying, manipulative behavior, poor impulse control. The list goes on and on. And you see, the narcissist has those same qualities. There is also a similar brain abnormality in all of the different cluster B disordered people. Although only the psychopath is born that way. Both the narcissist and the psychopaths lack the neural equipment or tools or net like hardwiring brain chemistry, I guess you could say, um, that enable them to empathize with others. <clears throat> it's just not there. And brain imaging studies have shown that psychopaths have irregular mirror neuron systems as well as less gray matter, which I mentioned earlier in the regions of the brain that are associated with emotion regulation and self-control. Obviously, that that is an explanation of why they are what, what they are. Studies indicate that these disorders are often marked by distinctive features in the domains of affective interpersonality, um, now wait, interpersonal functioning, like how, like they have low fear and anxiety, deficient empathy, uh, an exploitativeness to them, like they're opportunist or something, and impulsive antisocial traits and behaviors, lack of restraint, irresponsibility, aggression, persistent rule of law breaking. Um, these disorders exist on a spectrum and can be mild to severe. Thus, some are dangerous and may commit murder while others remain sweet and only murder your mind and your soul. So all psychopaths are not serial killers. Some of them um, commit their crimes against you in other more insidious ways. But the whole way that it's put together is similar. Narcissists and psychopaths never experience reality in the true sense. They see the world through a distorted and delusional lens. They are known to dissociate in frequently uh, or any time that the situation calls for it. And they are amnesiacs because they experience the world and the people in it through a false persona, a false robot zombie person that they are can't harvest memories and keep them. They construct a make-believe narrative in order to excuse and legitimize their antisocial selfish behaviors and choices while discarding anything and anyone who does not conveniently fit into their narrative. <clears throat> Just think about that. The minute that you do not supply fuel, um, character traits, or residual benefits, then it's time for you to go and be replaced. The minute you know what they are, call them out on it and expect something to change or whatever, 
then you will be quickly replaced. Um, the minute that um, that you don't fit into their fantasy version of their life that they have constructed, as soon as that happens, they're done. So you need to know that. And not that you should try to avoid those things to hang on to them. My goodness. <laughs> That's a, no, don't do that. Confabulation is another marker that both narcissists and psychopaths share. They invent credible scenarios that explain how things happened. And they actually believe in these alternative, alternative, alternate reality because they may not really remember what happened in reality. The narcissist and psychopath do not remember their personal history or true story because they are not invested with the emotions and awareness that are necessary parts of creating real memories. These fiction versions of their life undergo frequent revisions and remain fluid and ever-changing as their inner landscape and outer world may require. They contradict themselves and believe each version of their lie to be the gospel truth. One embellishment, one confabulation, one false narrative after another. From time to time, they may have moments of clarity and lucidity, but they don't last for long because they serve no good purpose. Why dwell on the past? So, revisionist history. That is a common feature of all cluster B disordered people. So do you get that? Do you understand um, that connection about why they, the confabulation are just the wild stories that they make up out of the blue, out of thin air. They're not true. They believe them and they're constantly revising them and writing new stories for themselves and believing their own stuff. I can tell you that's a hundred percent true that I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, oh yeah, that's, oh yes. <laughs> For the person with NPD early on, we were forced to, um, they were forced to disconnect, connect from the reality that was filled with unpredictable abuse and shame. My narcopath told me some horrific stories about all the perverse crimes perpetrated against him in his childhood. Imagine how helpless and powerless you must feel that he must have felt to be in that situation at the mercy of, of all these terrible people who one example that was appalling to me, they introduced him to pornography when he was like before first grade, like maybe while he was still in kindergarten and uh, made him watch that with them. So what could he do uh, except replace his true self with a false self, one that was stronger, better, like a superhero version of his former self? He imagined it. He created it. He studied others and learned to adapt. He learned to do the hustle, the shuffle, the song and dance, to be an invincible charmer with dashing good looks and dimples and a coy little bashfulness that always proves irresistible to the women's. Yeah, he learned to adapt and create all this stuff. He created a self that could not be humiliated or afraid or hurt or any of those things. It was bulletproof. 
He created a new self that was adaptable, untouchable, fantastical. It was perfect. In a way, he created a new self and he played God. So why would he have a problem with perpetuating the delusion of grandeur? He can continue to reinvent himself over and over forever. If he did it once when he was a little boy, why not just keep doing it? The narcissist is his own creator and they keep giving life to new versions of themselves multiple times over and over in their lives. In contrast, the psychopath was most likely born that way, but the ability to shape shift serves him also. Well, like it serves in the same way as it serves the narcissist. They can both shape shift and be like chameleons or like the liquid octopus change their colors and textures and size and shape whenever they please and however they please. It is an overnight transformation when they do this. When my husband decided it was time to ditch the version of himself that he had been for the previous 16 years, he left everything behind. He sold his car, quit his job, left all of his possessions that had been so thoughtfully acquired year after year for nearly two decades. He only took what would fit into a duffel bag. He abandoned everything and everyone, including me. Shortly, he moved over, over 1,500 miles away and changed everything, his appearance, his diet, his personality, everything. He completely reinvented himself around people who had no memory, no record, and didn't, they never witnessed who he was before. That's important to think. So now, almost two years later, I'm still struggling to accept the reality of it all. It proved to be an existential crisis of sorts for me, since I had lived in that shared fantasy with him all those years. His sickness crept under my skin, flowed into my blood, changed me on a cellular level, altering my DNA. It was like one of those DNA editing things, <laughs> like a vaccine. The way they consume you and infiltrate your every pore is nothing short of magic. Dark magic that leaves you bound to them and decimated in the wake of their departure. Although he was diagnosed as someone with NPD, I reject that label. And I know that there were other coexisting factors that made it much more likely that he was quite possibly a psychopath. A person can be a narcissistic sociopath and have both conditions simultaneously. That's where I come up with the word narcopath. And although in many ways I pity him, in other ways I must acknowledge the power that he has to annihilate others completely, to wipe them out of existence like a tsunami or tornado. It's hard to pity someone who is a nuclear bomb, someone who is a destroyer of lives and dreams. But you know, somehow I do. I, I think about what it must be like to live in an alternate reality 
and only fake connection pretend to be a good person and only mirror love without ever really knowing what it feels like. I tried to show him. I wanted him to experience it and its healing transformative power to come to life in resplendent glory and step into the light to claim a life as a whole human with respect and understanding of all things real, both good and bad to wake him with the kiss of true love to reanimate him like raising Lazarus from the dead. But he is long gone. And regardless of whether he is a narcissist or a psychopath or both, I finally understand now what he is. And I fully understand that he will never feel the pangs of remorse or feel someone else's pain or know what real love, unconditional, never-ending love really feels like. Not infatuation, not lust, not fuel or supply, not magical thinking, but love, the most powerful thing in the universe. I think God is love. And for all those who are suffering cluster B disorders, who will never experience these things, the things that make us human, the things that make our lives meaningful, the things we carry with us beyond the grave, I am sorry. I wish there was something I could do to change that. Maybe their make-believe world with their false self is a pretty place with rainbows and puppies and unicorns. I think I got to live in that world for 15 years and it did seem very perfect. Maybe the skies are always like cotton candy. Maybe everyone is always dancing and laughing Maybe the narcissists and psychopaths, maybe they have it all figured out living in this beautiful, imaginary world. Who would you rather be? The broken-hearted person who grieves alone and says, ah, the reality of everything is so dark and difficult. Or would you rather be the narcopath who says, hey, no problem, the show must go on and then proceeds to live in the clouds with all the enchanting fairies and magic dust. I know he's in San Francisco with quite a few enchanting fairies and um, partaking of some very magical dust. But you know what? Only one of them really gets to live well. The normal neurotypical person or the disordered person. Only one of them really uh, laughs laughs heartily and surrenders to the senses to, to their senses so they can just live life with shallow pleasures you know and who you know who lives the more fun more exciting more 
sensually rich life? I'll give you a hint. It's not the good one. It's not the moral one. No saints or martyrs here. It is not a victory for the pure of heart. The narcopath, the narcopath sleeps the sleep of the innocent. But make no mistake, it does not come from a place of peace or virtue or anything like that. It is the sweet slumber of those without conscience or without soul. So is that the price you have to pay to have that beautiful illusion, to live in that world where everything is blissful and ecstatic and joyful and fun and all of the pleasures are constantly indulged in without any remorse, without any feelings of shame, without any hesitation. You just dive in and swim in a sea of indulgence in some hedonistic um, bacchanalia. I like that word. In some hedonistic bacchanalia of, uh, of ego, of his big fat ego. Is, is that better, knowing that the price you pay for that, to have that life of indulgence, that sensory nonstop stimulation is you know the the price is your soul because the good people in this world who are capable of love and empathy their life has to be one sometimes where we say no to ourselves where we say no to what we want we even say no to our higher good and best selves because we made a promise. We made a commitment to somebody. We told them, we got you. We got your back. Man, we're always going to be here for you. And we don't take that kind of promise lightly. So we stand by them and know it's not fun. No, it wouldn't be fun to drive that partner to chemotherapy every week. No, it wouldn't be fun to take care of that cardiac partner, you know, that's had a heart attack, can't do anything. That's not fun. That's not one big orgy. That's not one big drug fueled party. You know, that's, that's the stuff you roll your sleeves up and you, that's, that's the stuff that makes honor, integrity, character, ethics. It makes you a good person a substantial person and it makes you a person with a soul with a heart and a soul that works when you can deny yourself to be there in the way you need to be there for someone else. So let's remember that as we end this little podcast today, let's remember the price you pay if you are a disordered person, it may look all yummy and happy and sparkly, glittery stuff from the outside, but the parts of themselves that are hollow and empty, even if we have to, to sacrifice and compromise and do things that we don't want to do sometimes, at least at the end of the day, we know that we did the right thing. 
that we didn't let down the people who depended on us, that we did the right thing. And if you don't believe in sin and virtue, you don't believe in good and bad, you don't believe in the power of light and the power of the darkness in this world, then I don't know what to tell you because it's real. And for me, I choose to be on the side of the light, of the moral, of the ethical, of the virtuous, even though I fail miserably, abysmally from time to time. I choose that side because it hurts me to see other people hurt. And that's really a very good sign of our humanity. And all we can do is look at these other disordered people and think how empty it must be. Like the millionaire who sits in his empty mansion and it's an empty victory and a hollow life. I wouldn't envy that person. I would rather live under a bridge with the man I love than to live in a multi-million mansion by myself. Because that's everything. So, that's my message for today. Um, come to NARC Troopers and read more. I have, um, you know, I just want to put a little thing out there. I A lot of people who are in the their life coaches or their therapists or counselors or social workers or whatever. And they're trying to help people recover. Many of them do their due diligence and they know the research and they have good methods. And, and I've, I've had a lot of success with some of them that really helped me out, but I'm a writer and I'm like really a writer, not just playing to be a writer, but I'm a writer. And so you're getting research facts, uh, topics that are being covered that are important in depth and necessary for you to know. Uh, so you're getting that part. You're getting tools to help you heal. You're getting like, I try to touch on a lot of different topics I sprinkle my personal experience in there to show you that I'm real. This is raw, unedited, real life. I have no shame and stigma stigma about sharing what has happened to me. You know, these are illnesses. I wouldn't be ashamed if I had a heart attack. Why is this any different that I have PTSD now because of this, because I was discarded? There is no shame or stigma there. And shame on anybody who thinks there is. They're the ones who should be ashamed. Um, but uh, when I present it, though, since I'm a writer, um, I try to write it in an evocative prose kind of style. So it becomes more of a story, more of something you would read in a book. Um, you know, something in a book from the library, one of the, you know, something off the shelf there and not just an article where it's just boom, boom, boom. I'm going to bullet point a few ideas for you for tips. And I know some people are looking just for the tips and they don't care about all the flowery um, use of words that I try to do as a wordsmith. But I think it's a nice combination to give you the information and support and 
and all of that, but at the same time, write it in a way that is artful and masterful and beautiful to read, evocative, makes you feel something on a very profound level. I want to evoke that response. Um, So I try to do both. And I think that's what sets me apart. Uh, I don't make any money off of these podcasts or not much from my articles uh, that I write a little bit, but not very much. And um, I have nothing to sell you. This is all just me trying to share what I know and trying to help people not suffer because I know what that's like and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Okay, so let's get up, get on, be a trooper, be a narc trooper, and I will see you again soon. Okay, have a good one. Bye. (laughs) Bye.